never forget those words when I first heard them. Shame on you. The sense, the feelings, the emotions, the failure, the rejection, the disapproval, all of those emotions came when I heard those words, shame on you. We've all had experiences that have brought shame to us. They have been failures, we might call them sins, that have introduced into our lives guilt, and guilt has led to shame. That shame could have been birthed from a legalistic environment. Some of us grew up in very religious homes. They weren't necessarily spiritual, but they were religious. My joke used to be that uh, we weren't allowed to smoke or chew or go with girls that do. Uh, for some of us, things such as even playing pool or being caught in a bowling alley or a movie theater uh, would bring guilt and shame. Shame on you. Those were horrible words to hear. Many of us felt shame from our parents, uh, disapproval for a behavior or an action. Sometimes it might be family members, it might even be our friends. Uh, unfortunately for others, it was the church, it was the people of God. And many of us felt that shame was brought on us by God himself. Now that's not the truth, but that's how we felt. You see, shame has a voice. Shame has a voice and it speaks into our lives each and every day. Shame roars. It's that voice in your head that says, you're not good enough. You're going to fail. You can't do it. Shame roars that. Every time you think, I should try something new. I should try this. No, but I failed there before. You're not good enough. You're going to fail. You'll never do it. Shame's voice ridicules. It makes fun of us. Even when we are able to ignore the voice and go on, shame tries again and again and says, who do you think you are to try that? Who do you think that you are to make that attempt? Because after all, you're a failure. You're a nobody. And the voice screams loud, shame on you. They're going to laugh at you. So that voice of shame roars and it ridicules and shame restricts us. Shame is never helpful or productive. Shame is a source of destruction, of hurtful behavior, and it never brings about a solution or cure. It's the monster that keeps us from doing the things we want to do. Shame on you. Horrible, horrible words to hear because they speak into your spirit. Well, where does shame come from? Well, failure leads to shame. It's failure. It's failure to measure up to a standard. It's, it's a failure to meet someone's expectations. It's a failure to measure up to what you believe God wants from you. Uh, all of those things, those failures lead to shame. There's a relationship in the scriptures between sin and shame. In fact, the word shame appears 134 times in the Bible. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 25, it says, Let us now lie down in shame and cover ourselves with dishonor, for we and our ancestors have sinned against the Lord our God. From our childhood to this day, we have never obeyed him. Do you hear the connection in that verse? Let us lie down in shame. Why are we in shame? Because we have sinned. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 8, it says, O Lord, we and our kings, princes, and ancestors are covered with shame. And then he says why they're covered with shame. Because we have sinned against you. See, shame comes from a failure to measure up to a standard. It could be a God standard. It could be a man-made standard. It could be a religious standard. But all of those things lead to shame. Failure leads to shame. Guilt and shame are byproducts of failure or of sin. Guilt and shame are the two things that come out of sin. Guilt is that feeling of responsibility, 
of uh, ownership or, or remorse for actions. So guilt can be adaptive and it can be helpful. You feel guilty about something, you think, man, I never want to do that again, and so we don't. And, and that can be a good thing. Now, guilt can paralyze. I'm not saying all guilt can be that way, but understand that when guilt leads to ownership or responsibility or remorse for actions, that is a good thing. Shame, however, is different. Shame is that feeling that we're innerly flawed, that we haven't measured up. You see, shame st stems from our consciousness of something that was dishonorable or improper or something that might, we might say is ridiculous that's done by ourselves or others. And shame leads to the belief that we're flawed and we're unworthy of love, and that's the key, and we're unworthy of belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed uh, to do makes us f feel unworthy of any kind of connection. Shame's voice speaks, there's something wrong with me. And as I said at the beginning of this teaching, some of those things came from choices that we made. It could be decisions we made wrong in uh, relationships. It could be uh, a sexual encounter that shouldn't have happened. It could be knowing we should do something and we didn't do it, knowing that there were expectations and we didn't meet them. It could be all of those kinds of things. But shame says, it doesn't speak to the action. It speaks to who you are, and it says there's something wrong. Now, there's differences between guilt and shame. Uh, guilt says, I see what I've done. I see what I've done. But shame looks at ourselves as failures because of what we've done. So guilt is, I did it wrong. Shame says, man, I, I'm, there's something wrong with me. There's a difference. One's the action, one's who I am. Guilt is feeling bad about what we do, and shame is feeling bad about who we are. Shame is a sense of failure um, in someone else's eye. Well, guilt is just an awareness of the failure. You see the difference? One's about our character. Guilt is about disobedience to the word, but shame is how we perceive ourselves or how we see others. You see, shame is that feeling of being inwardly flawed, of not measuring up. Shame says, there's something wrong with me. Where did shame come from? What is the origin of shame? Where did it, where did it begin? You see, because God created us shame-free. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, it says, Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Shame comes in. Some people think it's because of this verse, it's sexual. But it has to do with perhaps our body is imperfect. We're ashamed of how we, we look or, or some of our attributes, our features. But God created us shame-free. We were made in His image after His likeness. We were a perfect creation. And shame was not something that He put in us. But here's one thing I can tell you as we continue to read on. God cannot function in an atmosphere of shame. If you have your Bibles, grab them right now and turn to Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. And it says this, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. Now let's understand, up to now, this has been a daily routine. They were put in this garden to tend it, to care for it, to protect it. That's why they were there. And every evening, they could meet with God. It was an after-dinner walk. They would walk with God. And if they had questions of things that they encountered throughout the day, they had the resource of all the universe, the resource of all knowledge, of all wisdom, of all understanding. He was there. Had they just waited one day and said, you know, this morning a serpent came up and tried to get us to eat that. And, and, and they said, who is that serpent? He said, that's the devil. And, and God could have explained it to them. But they never had that opportunity. And says, the Lord... It said, uh, 
So they hid from the Lord God among the trees, verse 8. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Now remember, it wasn't that many verses ago. They were naked and they felt no shame. And now they're naked and they feel shame. And look what it causes them to do. They, they hid. And then God asked this question that he already knows the answer to. And by the way, when God asks us a question, it's never for us to, uh, uh, for him to get an answer. Because he already knows it. It's for us to get the answer. And he says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And the man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And she said, the serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. You see, so here we are. We have some consequences of sin and shame. The first symptom of sin is shame. It says she took the fruit and she ate it and then she gave it to her husband who was with her. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, it says in verse 7, and they felt shame at their nakedness. Verse 25 of the previous chapter, naked, no shame. Seven verses into the next chapter, shame over their nakedness. Why? Because sin, the first symptom of sin is always shame. The second symptom is that you hide from God and each other. It says in verse uh, 7b, they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. You see, their sin led to guilt, and their guilt led to shame. And here's the thing that's important for us to recognize. Shame stops us from repenting. If they'd have come right out and they'd have been, uh, would have owned their responsibility and said, Lord, we disobeyed what you've done. I am absolutely certain that the God of forgiveness that we see in the New Testament would have also been the God that we see right here in Genesis chapter 3. The third symptom we see, or the consequence of sin and shame, is blame casting. You'll see what happens immediately. God says to the man, it was the woman you gave me. The woman says, the serpent you created. So that's what happens. We begin to blame. Whenever there's shame, rather than owning what we've done, we cast blame on others. So let's talk briefly about the impacts of shame. Number one, or A, shame sets unrealistic expectations. See, here's what happens. This is what it makes us think. That God expects certain things of me to be acceptable. Maybe, maybe people have those same expectations. Now I'm stuck. I can't measure up. I can't do what I need to do. So what does it do? We don't try. When we cannot bridge the gap between who we are and who we think we need to be, that gap causes us to have shame. You see, secondly, shame changes the way we see and think about ourselves. Shame lowers our self-esteem. It results in insecurity and pride. And here's the message of shame. If you get nothing else from today, get this. Shame says you're defective. That's what the serpent whispered to Adam and Eve in the garden after they sinned. He came in. They didn't even know who he was. The hurt whisperer came in and whispered into them, you're defective. There's something wrong with you. And so shame changes the way we think and the way we think about ourselves and the way we see ourselves. It can lead to paranoia, perfectionism. I was guilty of that. And it can also lead us to be a doormat for others because we don't feel that we have the right to speak up about uh, how we feel or who we are. Shame changes the way we see ourselves and think about ourselves because it ties us to our past, but it also sabotages our future. That's why God never functions in an atmosphere of shame. Shame extinguishes hope. The next thing we recognize is shame changes the way we think about and we relate to God. You see, 
Adam and Eve were walking intimately in the garden each and every day with the Father. They had him there. The encyclopedia of everything was there. But after shame, look what happened. They were afraid of God, and they hid from him. And last, shame changes our interactions with others. Adam and Eve were created as helpmates. They had a perfect intimacy. They had a transparent relationship, and they were naked. What more could you want? But after shame, look what happened. Not only did they hide themselves from God, they covered themselves from each other, and they also assigned blame. So shame impacts everything that we do and everything that we are. It impacts how we see ourselves, how we relate to God, and how we interact with others. In Ezekiel chapter 16, it says, Then you will remember the shame all the evil you have done. I will make your sisters Samaria and Sodom to be your daughters, even though they're not part of the covenant. I will reaffirm my covenant with you, and you will know that I am the Lord. You will remember your sins and cover your mouth in silent shame when I forgive you of all that you have done. Shame started in Genesis 3. It wasn't put in us by God. It was whispered into our spirit by Satan. And God promises in Ezekiel, there's going to come a day that I'm going to reaffirm my covenant with you. And even though you'll still have sins and even though you'll have shame, I am going to forgive you of all that you have done. So very briefly, let's talk about how God fulfilled that promise. You see, Jesus came to earth to bear our sin and to overcome shame. It says in Hebrews chapter 13, 11 through 15, it says, Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin, and the bodies were burned outside the camp. So Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace or the shame he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. Here's the good news. Shame and sin had to be dealt with. Man couldn't do it. God made a way. In the Old Testament, it had to do with two goats. We'll talk about that next week. And in the New Testament, the perfect Lamb of God comes and fulfills the purpose of both of those Old Testament goats to deal with sin and to address our shame. So as we close this morning, I want to read the verse from Hebrews chapter 12. It says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to our life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Here's how you do it. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, despising or disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor before God's throne. As we close this morning, I want to focus on that one word. It says he despised the shame. Now, when we think of despise, we think of anger or hatred, but, but, um, the word in the Greek is kataphreneo, and kata means away from, and phreneo means thinking. And so literally, it says, he chose to think nothing, even though when you think about it, he's dying on the cross at the crossroads of the world, that every path that goes from the west to the east goes through Jerusalem. And even though he's taken outside the camp, even though he's been ridiculed, he's been beaten, he's, he's hanging naked in front of his family and friends and the whole world, and the adversary, the hurt whisperer is speaking to him, shame on you, shame on you, shame on you. It says he thought nothing of that shame. And because of that, he became our high priest, overcoming shame and giving us victory. And for that, we give thanks and praise. Thank you for being with us today. And before we go, there's a couple of things that I want to remind you. 
Um, each Monday morning, we're sending out an, an email with a devotional plan, encouraging you to read the Word of God throughout the week. In this season of time, we need to strengthen our spirit, so I encourage you to do that. If you haven't downloaded the YouVersion app that Jill mentioned a couple of weeks ago, it's free. Millions and millions of people have it. You can read in different versions. You can even download certain versions that will read for you, which is absolutely fantastic. Uh, these plans that I'm recommending on Monday are ones that have been put together by people that I consider heroes of the faith, and they're addressing the topics that we're talking about. So I encourage you to do that. Also, I want you to know that on Wednesday, uh, we're sending a communication just encouraging you to go to a link for a worship song. Uh, I've always found that if I can get a song in my spirit and I'm humming it throughout the day, it's just a great thing for me. And so that's coming out on every Wednesday. Make sure you, you get in and listen to that and get that down in your spirit. Those are songs that we're selecting or songs that will inspire you, that encourage you, give you hope, and remind you that you have a future. Also, on Friday or Saturday, depending on how ready I am, uh, you'll get a third email throughout the week, and that will have the attachment of the outline that we'll be using uh, during our Sunday's live stream. Now, why am I telling you that? Because if you're not getting one, two, or three emails from us each week, then maybe we don't have your contact information. So if we haven't been hearing from you, would you please take a moment, email info at therivers.org, and let us know who you are, give us your contact information. You're saying, I'm not receiving emails, and I want to. Uh, that would really help us out. We appreciate it so much. The second thing I want to remind you is to continue to be faithful to the Lord in your giving. Here's what's so great about God. God only asks that we give as he has blessed and prospered us. It's not dues that we have to pay. He said, I've blessed you. He then challenges us to give the first fruits back to him. Because I'll tell you this, and Jill and I can attest to it, that 90% that's blessed by God is better than 100% that's cursed by God. Thank you for your faithfulness. I am so grateful for that. Uh, we appreciate that so, so very much. Um, in the next week or so, uh, you'll be seeing some invitations to join us in some uh, Zoom meetings, if you have that app. Uh, we'd like to just have a chance to sit down and talk a little bit and, and have a virtual chat. If you're interested in being a part of one of those, you could help us out by just uh, sending that email. You could send it to markettherivers.org and uh, let us know, hey, I'd like to be part of one of those. And we'll invite five or six families uh, each week to participate in that. And uh, we'd, we'd love to just catch up with you.